Hello, and welcome to the Morbid Museum. My name is Katie Mead. And this is Luke Boyd. And we are so excited to introduce you to this brand new podcast. Today's episode is just a brief rundown of who we are and what we plan on talking about with all of you um, over the next, hopefully, infinity weeks. <laughs> Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Amen. Um, <laughs> To, get, to begin with, I assume you're probably asking yourself, what is the Morbid Museum? That's a great question. <laughs> is the Morbid Museum a real museum, Katie? That's what I'm dying to know. Here's the thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. Damn. This is not a place you can visit except in your mind and on, uh, I guess, your wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ugh, so it's uh, virtual. <laughs> it's very virtual. <laughs> we live in a virtual world now, unfortunately. This podcast in particular is equal parts history, true crime, and tourism all rolled into one. Uh, and the thinking behind it, the reason why Luke and I wanted to start this podcast is because we have this fantasy where if we were billionaires and decided we were going to create our own museum, you know, what would it look like? What kind of stuff would we want in our museum? And given who we are and our personalities and our interests, it would be overflowing with the weirdest, most obscure, morbid, creepy stories and artifacts. Um, Luke especially has a very strong interest in um, places and spaces, mm -hmm. uh, uh, specifically um, Urbex, which if you could give a, a, a brief description of what that is for our, yes, yes, our, new, very, our noobs. <laughs> I'm very Urbexy. So urban <laughs> exploration, places that are abandoned, forlorn, dilapidated, haunted, creepy, you name it. I want to yes. explore it. Yeah. So the thinking would be, uh, you know, we're never going to have an amuse a museum. I think that's probably fair to say. Oh, you know what, though? No, because we're not billionaire vampires, right? <laughs> as much as I pray every night that that is my fate, as of now, I am not a billionaire. Take vampire. my soul, Satan. Take it. <laughs> uh, it's good to have dreams and goals. Goals for 2023, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in the meantime, until we become billionaire vampires, uh, we have decided to use this podcast as a little bizarre repository and uh, our weird little museum where you all get to be visitors. So how fun for you. Welcome. So much fun. Um, a little bit about what we'll be doing in these episodes. Uh, during these podcasts, we'll be taking you on a tour through this virtual morbid museum um, as we are curating and interpreting through the space, through space and time. Uh, we're going to be telling you a little bit about backstories, about interesting stories about true crime, about abandoned places, about unresolved or unexplained phenomenon, um, creepy shit from history. Um, yeah. Basically, that's what it encompasses. And so we may be talking about, you know, a European outbreak of cholera one week and then oh, a yeah, we will. morbid Victorian, <laughs> you know, morning practice the next week from America. Um, so it's going to be really sort of transnational um, 
uh, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to give you some backstory. We're going to narrate the story to you the best way we know how. And we're mm -hmm. both museum professionals. And so we like to think that we like a good yarn, a good story, and can narrate a good tale. So <laughs> we like to think that. This is the delusion, the delusion that has led us to create a podcast at long last. <laughs> um, so we're going to tell that story to you in the best way we know how. And we're going to share with you some resources where you can read more about this thing, this place, what we're talking about. Um, maybe where you can explore it for yourself or learn more. And so the idea is that we're hoping to inspire a greater interest or appreciation in the dark shit that we're obsessed with. Absolutely. That's a great <laughs> that's a great little summary of what we are allegedly going to be doing here. My mother is so proud, I can tell. <laughs> my Mom, mother you're listening, my yeah. mother will never hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's for the best. You know what though? It's technically this is on her because she's the one who let me watch Sweeney Todd when I was like 10. So Oh, you you didn't stand a chance in hell. <laughs> no, no, there was no hope. I think I was, it was the unsolved mysteries for me that, uh, that led me astray a long time ago. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, so this gets us to our next portion of our intros is just a little Q&A with us. You can know a little bit about who your hosts are on this journey. So um, we both kind of just gave our, our own little version of how we got to be, you know, psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story. I mean, that's really, we're just scratching the surface, but um, yeah, I think, I think I'll kick it off and ask Luke, uh, how did you end up working in public history slash museums? Tell us your, uh, your education and what your first gig was. Sure. So I was always interested in history, but I didn't really understand that I wanted to do history as a career. I was really into theater and performing really, and political <laughs> science and sort of other humanities and stuff like that, creative stuff. And when I got out of college, it was during the 2008 recession, pretty much, and there was really no work to be found. And I kind of discovered that I didn't really want to work in politics, per se, or mm. work for a political entity, or work for a lobbyist or any of those kinds of things. When I interned in DC for a semester, all I did was go to museums. I went to the Holocaust Museum. Oh, museum yeah, how could you history, not? You know, the portrait gallery. And like, you know, all my roommates are like sleeping off the night before hung over. I'm like, let's go to the museum, guys. And they're like, Oh, God, everyone hated crazy. you. <laughs> I no, I was the yeah, the absolute bottom of the class socially. <laughs> uh, so and I realized that I like doing that. I like sharing history with people. People, finding little secrets like in the grotto in the Capitol and like, you know, sharing that with people. And then I, I discovered public history within a few months and my short term career as a uh, elderly companion came to an end. And I entered grad school and got my master's in public history from Central Connecticut State University and been working in museums for about 12 years, all kinds of museums, national park sites, battlefields. Um, I think the first museum I technically worked at was the Mark Twain House and Museum in Hartford, Connecticut. So Cool. Um, which is very morbid. Um, yeah. And very cool. We, we should definitely hit hit him and the and the house at some point. Oh, for sure. The yeah. morbidity, the morbidity is real uh <laughs> there. And that's the thing. It's like that is a morbid museum, you know, without yeah, for it necessarily sure. being so. So yeah. uh yeah, that's that's my backdrop. But what about you, Katie? Tell us about your Ooh, intro me? entree. Yes. <laughs> the entree to me. Mm -hmm. Uh I have a long storied past. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, because you're um, much, much older than a I am. Thousand so. years <laughs> older. Um, so, funnily enough, my my origins, like Luke, begin in theater, and I think that you would be uh, surprised how many people who are interested in museum education probably do have some kind of a background in theater, because the reality is, it's very performative. 
when you're working in uh, museums, anybody who's giving a tour, the idea, right. the ideal is that you're doing it in an entertaining way so that people actually want to listen to you and uh, be part of the tour that you're giving. And then a tour itself is is a script. It's a play. The exhibition designer um, for an exhibit that I worked on where he was the one who really fully explained that a really good exhibit should be like a play where, mm -hmm. you know, there's a really concrete beginning, middle and end. You're telling a really solid story. And sounds so, like somebody maybe from the NYHS or something like that. It was NYHS. Many, many, many museum people come from the performative world, you know. Yeah. And so in my... Infotainment, you're describing. Yes, exactly. Info, infotainment. And so, you know, when I was when I was a teenager and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for college, I knew that I was really passionate about uh, theater performing. And I was, at the time, I was really passionate about animal welfare and conservation. And so I actually started working at a zoo. So that technically, for those that don't know, zoos and museums function almost identically with the exception of one has a living <laughs> living collection and one has a hopefully not living collection. <laughs> right. Hopefully bugs aren't eating the artifacts. That's, <laughs> right. you know, that's the extent of it. But yeah, they might have a mammoth bone. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> not, not the goal. Um, so Doing that, that was the first time I was giving tours. So I was, I get, I gave my first tours as a docent when I was 16 years old, and so I got, wow. I got bit by the bug, and I knew from that point on I wanted to educate. I was on um, sort of track to become a theater professor for a while, and I did do that um, for a short period of time. But uh, you know that that 2008 2009 recession time, I got out of grad school, and I and I needed some work, and I thought, well, I can try to convince someone out there that my uh, previous experience working in tours at the zoo and, you know, I have this degree in theater and performance, maybe this museum will hire me. And lo and behold, I got my first job at the New York Transit Museum, a fantastic museum, Amazing might I museum. add. If you've never been there, um, that's the New York Transit Museum. Should mention Luke and I are based in New York. Um, I am from Brooklyn, and that zoo that I was mentioning was the Prospect Park Zoo, and uh, and so yeah, the New York Transit Museum is a phenomenal museum. It's actually in an old subway station, and that was also my first taste of uh, really getting interested in kind of nitty gritty stories, stuff that's and learning how to talk about challenging stories in a way that is respectful, um, but also interesting and entertaining. And we'll definitely talk about some stuff from the creation of the subway system for sure, because there's a lot of messed up history and very interesting, creepy history that goes along with the subway system as well. It's so creepy. Mm -hmm. and so Mega morbid. creeps. <laughs> and it continues to this day, still going strong. Oh, yeah, no. The creepiest. Two words, mole people. <laughs> <laughs> the mole people tour begins in two hours. Mm -hmm. Please join us. <laughs> so we're we're both like economic losers from the recession of, oh, for the, sure. of the late early 2000s, the early aughts, as it were. Yes, we um, have that in common. Profound sure. impact on our generation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, uh, Katie, I want to tell the folks at home a little bit about how we met. Um, oh, that day. That <laughs> beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> There's before Katie and after Katie for me. You know what I mean? Oh. That's, uh, that's a little too close to home. Um, but we we worked together at the same museum in New York City. We did. That's how we met. I actually knew your resume before I knew you. <laughs> You're like, Jesus Christ, this nerd. <laughs> no, I was like, why is this really qualified person working this job? 
And I was like, I should never do interpretation ever again. I hate this. I hate it's my last time. It's my last one, but it got me to New York. So it uh, did. So uh so the the job we were speaking of is uh Luke and I met while working at the National September 11th Memorial and Museum. I almost said the name wrong, which is pretty bad. You you were like reading it off a cue card so natural it's, it's been a few years and as as katie may be intimating katie was one of my managers it was um, and my supervisors and so uh katie and i worked together i was an interpreter in the field uh getting giving tours to the public and katie was responsible for training us and developing the programs mm -hmm. also training the volunteer docent corps which was a massive responsibility it was it was um, a lot <laughs> well, but it was years. an amazing experience i mean i think we both uh one of the reasons why we are permanently bonded is because it's such a unique, unusual uh, experience to be at the very beginning of an institution and to help create the groundwork for uh, whoever's going to come next in terms of the staff. And so it was very exciting to be together. We were really in the trenches, too, because... Uh, we were just throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck in terms of content and everything else. And so, um, you know, we, we bonded very heavily. Do you remember our first real, real bonding moment though, Luke? I know the moment I first fell in love with you. Oh my God. I, I, which I, I want to share that. <laughs> it was probably, it was probably week. I don't know, like week two. So I started in like December, 2013 and you guys came on in January. like January. Yeah. And so we were having our first meetings where we were going through artifacts and I will not name the specific artifact, oh, God. but uh, you compared it to nipples. <laughs> and I was like, mm, mm, I love him. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> we, uh, we got really punchy in that oh, training. Yes. Um, we were trained for a very long time in preparation for the programs and the opening of the museum. And even though 9-11, of course, is a very dark subject, I think we took great pains to present it in a way that was not morbid. I mean, it yeah. was morbid for anybody who remembered it because they lived through it. They didn't need to get any imagery from us. They didn't need to receive any other additional information other than to help them recall what happened. No, the museum told its story very well. Right. We were there to enhance that. Right. But we still found the most morbid shit within that story to obsess mm -hmm. about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure is a whole part of another three-part episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, we could do, we could do plenty on, on particularly unusual 9-11 uh, related artifacts. And uh, yeah, in that journey it of working in this institution, I made amazing friends, including Luke and it really sort of solidified my desire to work with more challenging content um, like I had done in previous jobs. But this this really made me realize th that you're actually also making a difference in people's lives by um, diving into things that are harder to talk about because a lot of people don't actually know how to talk about it. So, yeah, we were really like spinning some 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 prose, some poetry. In, mm -hmm. the, in the way we tried to connect people to it, to try to take a diverse group of people through the museum to talk about something that was vastly personal to most yeah. people in the group or then completely abstract to someone who was young. Um, oh, yeah. To I mean, try, and to, it's, try to bring them all in. very yeah. hard when you're doing content um, that is so important to so many people and then presenting it to people who have zero connection. I mean, we're talking kids who literally didn't know anything coming in. So, yeah, it's a very unique experience and uh how could we not be bonded forever <laughs> yes 
And now that we are, you know, stepping out on our own, we can talk about whatever we wish with no institutional narrative <laughs> yes. to hold us back. But you're right. I think the no we got a bravery from that, you know. Yeah. From, from <laughs> but I think you're right. Like after getting through that story, if you could tell that story, if you could navigate that story, if you could still get up out of bed after telling that story, <laughs> you're good. You could do anything, you know. And, and that's how I feel. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's right. I um, think that's right. <laughs> um, should we move on to our next topic? Oh, yes. I um, would love to know. Uh, so I think we've kind of covered sort of why these artifacts, these stories, these places appeal to us a little bit. Um, but if you want to go in a little deeper on that, I know for me, it's especially when it comes to like true crime stuff, like really, really terrible stories. I have I have a very uh, what I would call an unhealthy interest in serial killers. And the reason is because I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am so on the opposite end of the spectrum of someone like that. At least I, right. I like to hope that I am. Um, that for me, it's, it's the psychological aspect because human beings are, we are many things. We have the capacity to do the most phenomenal good and the phenom most phenomenal evil, which I, that is also the story of 9-11, right? That was, a, that's a big sure. thing we talked about that's a right. lot. That's right. When we worked there. And so I think for me trying to explore that darker side is important to me because I don't, I don't live my life in it. You know what I mean? If that, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. You have great capacity for dark stories. You mm -hmm. know? And I think we both do. Um, and I think, you know, for both of us, we probably start at a young age where definitely <laughs> re reading a boxcar children mystery about, you know, something, <laughs> or, you know, I watched, um, are you afraid of the dark? Religiously. Oh yeah. I remember 5 PM tuning in, sitting in the basement, watching it. I love freaking myself out even as a kid. And then you think about it, you know, to that threshold to kind of get that same experience, that same high, if you were off the content yeah. and no one's getting high off of violence or blood or death or murder, but it's, it is that sense of mortality and mm -hmm. the fragility of life and that sense of morbidity. Again, how do you, how does this thing exist in someone's mind as a reality? Yes. Um, how does this, what, what's behind, what's the rationale behind this? And so that, that desire or that, uh, you know, seeking that answer that or the answer to that question i think it me means that threshold for creep goes up and up <laughs> and up and up and so we just we're, and then we're in a very we're in crazy town you know we're in we're, we're in the museum we're in the morbid museum because mm -hmm. this is where we'd like to exist yes <laughs> if we could make a job it would be at this place at this joint yes um perfectly yeah. said and i agree and i agree with everything you said and if y'all hiring all right tell me resume um, <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody like to be a producer for a very disturbing <laughs> podcast? We barely know what we're doing. I think we can pitch this to Elon Musk. I think he can make it happen. <laughs> he's he's got a lot of power. Oh God. Topical. Anyway. <laughs> Topical. Um, should we discuss a little bit? Um, this is gonna be, I think, a nice one for folks to get to know us a little better sure. about maybe some of the weirdest or most morbid artifacts or places that that come to mind when we're talking about this subject. Oh yeah, please. Here you hit it first. Oh, sure, sure. So I my I mean there's so many. Um one that comes to mind is the Victorian hair wreath. 
Um, <laughs> there was a few of them at the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut. And so what these were were morning ritualistic items that were made from human hair. So, of course, like a lock of hair, you imagine that, but this is like times 10. Um, so hair would be removed from the deceased and incorporated into a shape. And sometimes uh, they were usually had a wire like base to them. So it might be like a wreath shape or a flower. Um, and so looking at it, it's, it's kind of pretty. It's a nice little, looks like a floral decorative thing. It's just brown or blonde or gray. And it's human hair that's wrapped to look like, you know, a wreath and it's disgusting. And it's in okay, a, this it's is in a the shadow first box. Time, this is the first time I'm gonna say this on this podcast, but it's not gonna be the last time. Listening. What, what the fuck was wrong with the victim? <laughs> oh, those wacky Victorians. Those wacky Victorians. Oh my God. <laughs> they could not get enough of death. Loved it. Lived it. Loved it. Lived it. <laughs> wanted to transcend it. Um we're bad we're bad at staying alive from we're you know we're very very good at dying very good at dying so much death happening all the time so much unexplained death so many spores we don't know what it, what they are oh. we don't know how to wash ourselves we're so many we're, poop deaths can we talk about the poop deaths uh, i mean poop deaths part we'll one go into four. some of the yeah. you know, oh my god we're gonna do a whole poop death series for yeah, some spoiler of alert it's some of our great presidents <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, think about DC plumbing systems. Oh my god! And, we, oh mean, yeah, no, we're gonna hit the DC plumbing systems hard <laughs> <laughs> in a way that someone should have hit them hard back in the 19th century. <laughs> you know what's hard? This water. Huh? <laughs> so I'd love to hear a little bit about something that you're passionate about in terms of a, a dark item. Or oh place, well, I've kind of already given away my main interest. Which is, uh, I love toilet stuff, you know. I <laughs> should I should have just leaned into that. So tell us more about your <laughs> tell us more about your poop stories. Um, <laughs> as a as a tour guide at the uh, New York Historical Society, which is another fabulous museum in New York, and it's kind of I think for the average person still a little bit of a hidden gem. Mm -hmm. um, but their work is phenomenal. And when I was working there, uh, I was doing. Uh, tours for kids and my favorite object to interpret was this beautiful wooden chair uh, that the kids would take forever trying to figure out what it was, what it did. And then you kind of do the big reveal of like, there's a hole in this chair. <laughs> and, then, and then they try the things they would try to th say that they would think the hole would be for. And they're like, if your butt needed a rest, <laughs> like, that is, you're not totally wrong. I mean, yeah. When you're yeah. 35, talk to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I love a commode chair. <laughs> I will always be all in on a commode chair. <laughs> well, and I think that's really fascinating because, you know, I've I've worked in living history a lot. So, yes. you know, people dressing in costume and, re and reenacting or interpreting. And when you go into a historic house, people want to go in the kitchen. They want to go in the bathroom. Absolutely. Because and that's where we spend most of our lives. Correct. And that's a universal thing. It's like, yes, I have no idea how to use this loom, but where did they go poop? Because yeah. everybody wants to know where they pooped, but no one wants to talk about it. Like mm -hmm. in the museum world. Have you ever attended a training about toilets? I haven't. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, this is your silence is scary. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, there's no, a I lot haven't of, attended when I've given the, one. 
oh, I led that training. Um, <laughs> like there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of narrative out there in historical research, but it's something that I think is woefully underreported on. So if you're into this history, you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. Bear with us, bear down. And I'm um, excited also as we, as we go further down uh, these rabbit holes, uh, potentially talking to uh, some of our colleagues and getting uh, some of their most favorite objects that they loved to interpret uh, that are on the weirder side. I think even if people want to send us uh, their own suggestions or thoughts on stuff mm-hmm. that they find interesting, uh, you know, we're definitely open to that too. Yes. And I think this is like our own little Proust questionnaire that mm-hmm. we're coming together on. I think that's really smart. And we have a great network of colleagues and friends in the museum world, um, people who, you know, the audience would love to hear from because oh, no doubt. Yeah. The stories we have behind the curtain <laughs> in museums are pretty incredible. And the amount of useless crap that we've collected knowledge wise. Oh, it's unbelievable. It. It's yeah. legendary. I could bore you for days. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah. So uh, I figured let's finish up by giving a little wink, wink, sneaky peeky on what we might be covering this season. Luke, what are some of the things you're very excited to cover? I've already talked about poop. I am. <laughs> what are you excited about? Uh, I have to take a break. Uh, I'm very excited <laughs> um, to talk about some of the the, the places of which I'm most passionate. Um, and a lot of them are in the New York City area. Uh, there was a uh, amusement park in in uh, the Bronx for several years known as Freedom Land. Um, so that weird. Is, that is now where Co-op City is. It's basically it, it it would be it would it would work great in like Georgia. Like the South would be all over this shit. It's patriotic. There's literally a a, a mascot for the park called Johnny Freedom. Like what kind of 2001 bullshit is this? But this best. is the 19 this is the 1960s. And it was existed for 3 years. The guy who set it up was a Disney acolyte who fell away and created his own park like screw you Disney I'm going to do this but he Disney, was the Lucifer of Disney. He was Lucifer of Disney. He had the fallen angel. Um <laughs> and basically Robert Moses and Disney killed his project and it went belly up and it was demolished, destroyed. Um, it has a morbid angle. I can promise you. Um, another would be the legend of Cropsey and Staten Island, a place where I now work, not Cropsey land, but rather on Staten Island, (laughs) all kinds of murders mixed with a history of mental health, mixed with abandoned sites and structures, lore, myths, and amazing Staten Island accents. Love Um, an abandoned psych ward. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's kind of the dream as an, of an urbexer is to encounter a site like that. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the New York area, that's the place to go. Um, yeah. And Luke also, uh, this is a big part of how he spends a lot of his free time is exploring these spaces. So I'm sure he'll be able to give a lot of good uh, tips and advice on how to do it, how to do it safely. And legally, we are certainly not encouraging anybody to do any kind of trespassing or anything like that. That's right. So um, disclaimer over. Thank you. Disclaimer over. <laughs> we don't we don't have lawyers yet. Yes, yeah, this is where you get bail money. This is how you <laughs> escape from the cops um (laughs) just pretend you're having a seizure it's fine Um, it's fine you'll be fine it's good uh i am so excited for both of those stories um and this is actually a good time to tell you part of the format too is uh we one of us will be the well-versed well-researched individual uh, during the episode, and the other is is also kind of a visitor. Like I know about both of those topics, but I by no means have expertise, and I love hearing Luke's interpretation of anything. So I'm 
incredibly excited to hear uh, you tell those stories. Tell us a little bit about what you'll be exploring this season. Oh man, where do I start? I'm so excited. Um, so I think uh, one of my first ones coming up, getting back to uh, some Victorian-ish, uh, I'm going to be dis uh, discussing death masks, which mm. uh, is not strictly Victorian. It actually goes way back to ancient times and sort of talking about our weird relationship with memorializing people in death. Uh, and this is one of the weirdest ways. And I don't totally understand <laughs> the point of it. But <laughs> I, I see it. I, I get it. I, I, mean, I don't know what's wrong with y'all. but You're a fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> Having a life mask, Marty, at my, at my house. No, life mask is cool. The death mask is where you lose me. <laughs> it's just you don't need it. You don't need it. Uh, so it's not attractive. Yeah, that's a big one. I'm uh, I'm excited for, and then uh, yes, very excited to talk about uh, a very very well known uh, cholera outbreak in England that led to some amazing science. So that's part of these morbid stories too. Is sometimes uh, we get amazing things out of them. Uh, the worst the worst things that happen often there's a silver lining somewhere. I like to hope. That's right. And actually, That's both right. of those topics both have interesting silver linings. So, where would our modern commodes be with the, <laughs> the, the poop tragedies of the past? <laughs> they could have used a silver lining. I'll tell you what. Oh, oh boy. Strap in, folks. It's going to be oh, a bumpy ride. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> if you're still listening, please don't leave us. I swear it gets better. We look forward to giving you more stories in the weeks to come. And uh, I think that's it from us for now. Till next time. Thanks for joining us at the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye. Bye-bye. This is the outro music. <laughs> <laughs>